Hello again, thank you for tuning in to History's Great Mysteries. I'm your host, Nick, and today I have something for the skeptics out there. When it comes to unexplained footage, oftentimes the skeptics go to excuses that, oh, how can we trust whoever filmed this? What if it was set up? What if it's been altered? And on and on. And for the most part, they're right. An unreliable source can be a roadblock to ever discovering the truth behind some of our greatest mysteries. However, strap yourselves in for a wild ride today because skeptics, that excuse is not on the table for this episode. And let me explain. What I have for you today is a monumental case in the world of UFO research, and that is because it is the first ever UFO incident in the history of the United States that was officially released by the U.S. government itself to the public. Let me repeat that. This isn't some oh, I took out my smartphone and was recording something in the sky. No, this was captured by the government and released by the government. So it is, by all means, the most credible UFO incident that we have to date. Not only that, after releasing all the information, the videos, pictures, documentation, the government also officially labeled the event as real unidentified phenomena. This is the USS Nimitz UFO incident. In November of 2004, the USS Nimitz Carrier Strike Group was sailing roughly 100 miles southwest of San Diego, California. This is a naval strike group, meaning there's an entourage of ships and planes moving in formation through the seas as they conduct various training exercises and operations. The crown jewel and main ship of this entourage is the USS Nimitz Aircraft Carrier, accompanied by several destroyers, submarines, and a Ticonderoga Ticonderoga-class guided missile cruiser with a sophisticated radar system that is named USS Princeton, and that will be very important in this story. The region that they are sailing in is protected and restricted by the U.S. military. That is why it is concerning when the ANSPY-1 radar system, Passive Scanning Phased Array Radar, and I have to read this off to you because I feel like if I don't explain all of the names to all their fullest potential, then... You guys aren't going to believe that this is like genuinely a credible government military situation that we have here. But anyways, this extremely advanced radar system on the USS Princeton began to pick up groups of aerial objects operating in their airspace. These objects, however, did not fit any known flight pattern. Navy Chief Petty Officer Kevin Day, an experienced Navy officer with over 18 years of experience, was stationed on the Princeton and was manning the radar during this time. It was his job not only to monitor and relay information on the radar, but also to identify the types of aircraft and attain IFF, which is Identification of Friend or Foe, in order to secure the airspace. This identification of unknown aircraft is based on many things such as size, location, speed, and flight pattern and behavior. And it's worth mentioning that this system of identification is very reliable and important. It's how they can tell an enemy fighting class plane from a drone, for example. However, after days and days of seeing these ominous blips on the radar, Kevin Day was still unable to identify the anomalies. 
This is because the aircraft, if that's what they were, were not fitting any known pattern for identification. In the official executive summary of the incident released by the government, Kevin Day said that they matched some characteristics of ballistic missiles based on their like speed and appearance, but that by no means did he think that they really were any kind of missile. And this is because the objects would randomly appear in groups of 5 to 10 at a time, traveling close together and in the same direction. He reports that sometimes they would be flying at 80,000 feet, which is in the stratosphere, by the way, so way above any, any type of commercial t uh, plane. And then they would drop down to 20,000-ish feet, and even sometimes drop all the way down to sea level. And these drops would be almost instantaneous. He would have them on the radar at 80,000, and then in the next second, they're at 20,000 or at sea level. These strange objects, which they were calling AAVs, or Anomalous Aerial Vehicles, would appear in this manner and then dart off at extremely rapid speeds completely off the radar. Kevin Day said he witnessed this time and time again throughout the early days of November. He said at first it was mostly just strange, but at no point did he really consider these radar objects as full-on threats, because he didn't have any reason to. Many of his surrounding officers, including a radar technician by the name of Gary Voorhees, Petty Officer 3rd Class, suggested this could all be due to a malfunctioning radar system. So all of the air control systems were taken down, recalibrated, and reinstalled in an effort to clear out the anomalies. However, when the radar came back online, the ghost tracks of these strange aircraft were now even clearer and more convincing. This group of highly experienced men and women aboard the USS Princeton were left scratching their heads wondering what these objects could possibly be, and furthermore, why they were there. Eventually, one day, when these AAVs were being tracked relatively close to the strike group, Gary Voorhees decided to head up onto the deck and take a look through the big eyes, which is a pair of heavily magnified binoculars attached to the railing of the ship. Voorhees said that he pointed the binoculars in the direction of the objects seen on radar and was able to see small dots in the distance, hovering around and moving erratically in all different directions. However, the objects never came close enough for Voorhees to make out any distinguishing details. On November 14, 2004, a flight training exercise was scheduled with several Boeing F-18 Super Hornets. The squadron was led by Commander David Fravor, a respected and experienced flight commander. That morning around 9.30 a.m., our friend manning the radar, Kevin Day, picked up yet another AAV flying near the area of this F-18 training exercise. He was then able to convince his commanding officer to let him investigate the strange blips that had been appearing for over a week now. This is when he radios into Commander Fravor and his squadron, and they are ordered then to abandon the air defense training and redirect their efforts towards real-world tasking. Commander Fravor is relayed the bearing of the unknown object and is tasked with investigation and identification to finally put to rest what has been bugging the radar all of November. As his squadron approaches the area, they are picking up nothing on their personal radar and can visually see nothing in the distance. Kevin Day is watching from the USS Princeton, and he can see as the F-18s are approaching the, the location of the blip on the radar. They're getting closer and closer, with Commander Fravor continually reporting that he can see nothing. At some point, an officer gets on the radio and asks if any of the F-18s have some kind of operational weapon system which understandably scares the crap out of the pilots when they have to respond no. 
Eventually, Kevin Day reports over the radio that they have reached merge plot, which means that the squadron and the unknown object are so physically close together that the radar cannot distinguish them apart, and they look like just one big blip. Upon hearing this, Fravor and his squadron still can't see anything. This is why Fravor uh, then rotates his F-18 and points a wing downwards to get a closer look towards sea level. And this is when he sees something incredibly strange. The first thing he notices is a disturbance in the water. He sees whitewater and waves crashing over an object that is sitting just below the surface. A fellow pilot also witnessing this, whose name I cannot give as she wishes to remain anonymous, said in an interview saying that it looked like an airplane that had just crashed into the water and was now sinking below the waves. Commander Fravor also corroborates this by his reports that the object in the water looked like the size and shape of a commercial Boeing 737. Then his eyes catch on something even more bizarre. Hovering just above the waves of the mysterious submerged object is a small aircraft, roughly the same length as their F-18s, but by no means the same shape. What Commander Fravor describes is an elongated tic-tac, which is a name that stuck and has been the, the thing used to reference this ever since then, a tic-tac, because the ship looks like a tic-tac flying in the air. So he sees this white tic-tac-shaped object hovering just over the waves, darting back and forth over the submerged object. Again, he describes the movement as erratic and even more unnerving. He says that the object did not have any kind of wings, exhaust plume, or rotor wash, which you would see from a helicopter. The History Channel show Unidentified does a great job of putting this into perspective, but let me explain this, the, uh, the significance of this. First off, we have a trained observer, Commander Fravor, and all of his squadron describing this unidentified aircraft. He and all of the other pilots tell the same story, and they are very familiar with you know, flying planes and other types of aircraft, um, and they themselves are flying F-18s, which again is one of the most premier aircraft in the world at the time. So they see this thing with no wings, no exhaust plume, and no rotors that is flying and maneuvering around them with literally no discernible method of flight. Man-made planes that we are familiar with can use several different types of propulsion to attain flight. These include uh, propeller engines, rocket engines, and gas turbine engines, all of which utilize combustion. Combustion is literally defined as the process of burning something, and so it understandably results in extreme amounts of heat, which is why we see exhaust plumes from planes and why smoke puffs out of our mufflers as we drive cars. None of this was seen from the Tic Tac. Of course, this left the pilots baffled. Commander Fravor reports that eventually, it appeared that the object became aware of their presence as his F-18 circled around. It's at this point that the object rose above sea level and then began to match the circular flight of Commander Fravor, and they were flying opposite one another in just like a matched circular pattern. This continued for a bit before Fravor decided to pull an aggressive maneuver and pull his nose down to cut off the angle of the object, all in an effort to get a closer look at it. And I'll actually just let him describe the rest of this incredible event to you in an interview that he uh, was in, conducted by To The Stars Academy of Arts and Science. So here you go. So as I get down to about, I'm probably about 60 degrees nose low pulling through the bottom, it starts to accelerate and it has an incredible rate of acceleration and it takes off and it goes south. And it takes off like nothing I've ever seen. 
It literally is one minute it's there, and the next minute it's like poof, and it's gone. The flight squadron is undoubtedly shaken up quite a bit by what had just occurred. I mean, this thing took off beyond the horizon in the blink of an eye. And someone eventually pipes up and suggests that they head back down to the water to investigate the other object that they had seen earlier and try to identify what it was submerged beneath the waves. But when they get to that location, the submerged object is gone and nowhere to be found. Back on the Princeton, Kevin Day notices something beyond belief. See, earlier in the day when the air defense exercise was still going on, there was a point in the training when the planes would separate for a while and then they would reconvene at a pre-designated rendezvous point that they referred to as the cap station. As Kevin Day is monitoring the radar, he notices the AAV jump, just as Commander Fravor described it, but what Day sees that the pilots don't see is that the object stopped roughly 60 miles away, and get this, it stopped at the exact location designated as the rendezvous point earlier in that day, the cap station. Day actually remembers speaking up on the radio and saying to Commander Fravor, you're not going to believe this, but the bogey is now at your cap station. Now, this could just be a coincidence, but then again, maybe it isn't. At this point, the squadron heads back to the aircraft carrier, the USS Nimitz. As they land, some of them at least, are immediately spirited away uh, for briefing into a secure location on the ship. Uh, while they're inside, they're filling out urgent paperwork and signing not-so-random non-disclosure agreements about what just happened. And while this is happening, a second team of planes takes off at approximately 12 p.m., this time strapped with an advanced infrared camera and targeting system referred to as the FLIR pod, in hopes of capturing a video of this AAV. And lo and behold, just minutes later, these pilots also made contact with that same Tic Tac object. Interestingly enough, the pilots immediately noticed that their radars were being jammed. However, they were successful in recording video of its movement in the sky with the FLIR. I will read out of the executive report on the recording of this object. So this is, this is the report that was directly released by the government. So, quote-unquote, it says, The object, according to the FLIR, appeared stationary. There was no discernible movement from the object, with the only closure being a result of the aircraft's movement. As Lieutenant, and the name is actually blacked out to, uh, to maintain anonymity, so as Lieutenant Blank watched the object, it began to move out of FLIR field of view to the left. From that point on, contact from the USS Nimitz strike, strike group was never regained with the famous Tic Tac. Now, if you guys want to watch this video for yourself, which I highly recommend, Either go to my Facebook group, uh, just History's Great Mysteries, and find my post about the USS Nimitz where I'll have this video linked, or uh, go on YouTube and look up To The Stars Academy, and it's a profile with only 10 videos at the point of, of this episode, 10 videos, and the first video of which is titled FLIR 1 Official UAP Footage, and that is the raw video that I'm referring to uh, that has no other kind of commentary around it. Now, if you do have this video pulled up, and by the way, please do not do this if you're driving a car, but if you do have the video up, there are several remarkable things that I'd like to point out. First off, the view in which we are introduced and we see this white tic-tac against a black background, uh, so that's the, that's the ship flying in the sky in infrared view. So what is white is 
quote-unquote hot and what is black is quote-unquote cold and what it shows when you only see that very um very organized white tic-tac shape what that shows is that there really is no exhaust plume so it's flying through the air or more more accurately hovering in the air and anything that we have like i mentioned earlier gives off an exhaust plume and if if a standard plane was to fly through this infrared camera you would see a heat signature behind the plane from this exhaust plume. You don't see it in the video. Secondly, towards the end of the video, the craft takes off to the left at a speed that is so fast that the FLIR pod can't continue to track it. Commander Fravor explained that the speed is nothing that man-made planes could ever even hope to achieve with our current technology, and even more, no kind of plane that he knows can hover and then take off like that. Back on the USS Nimitz, a U.S. government helicopter landed on the flight deck. From within the helicopter, several anonymous men begin to seize flight logs and other sources of information that have to do with the encounters. Classified hard drives referred to as RMCs, uh, they're data recorders that tell everything about a flight and its communication. These RMC drives were taken directly from the mainframe of the ship and flown off the Nimitz, never to be seen again. The radar tech Gary Voorhees on the Princeton is also visited by these strange men, where he was told to hand over all tapes and data from the radar station for that day. Clearly, the U.S. government was securing and concealing all information about this encounter. Furthermore, the video taken that day from the FLIR camera was uh, briefly reviewed by Voorhees and his shipmates before it too was seized and carried away. And... It's worth mentioning that this video that he saw on that day when he talks about this years later, he says that when he watched it originally, it was much longer than the two minutes that we have now, and it was much clearer, more detailed, which tells me that along the lines in these, in these past 13 years, something has happened to that video that has decreased the detail so much that we can't get the detail that he saw on that first day where he says he got a really good look at this Tic Tac that you could actually make out some distinguishing factors on the outside of the ship to the point where he said it might have even had some sort of legs or landing gear at the bottom but we watching this this very grainy video uh will never be able to know but anyways um that incredible piece of footage would not be seen again by the public eye until 13 years later in 2017 when the u.s government made a historic move all in one fell swoop they released not only the video from that day on the Nimitz, but also two other UFO videos from the USS Roosevelt taken in 2015, along with information on a secret government program called the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, or ATIP. ATIP had apparently been investigating reports of UFOs all over America, similar to the USS Nimitz incident. And again, all three of these videos you can find on my Facebook group along with all of the sources that I mentioned in this episode. But anyways, this revelation was huge. ATIP was tasked with identifying and analyzing unidentified aerial vehicles and establishing threat levels. At the helm of this program was a man by the name of Luis Elizondo, a former U.S. intelligence officer and military veteran. During his time running this program, Elizondo claimed that he gathered information on many, many UFO incidents, just as credible as the Nimitz incident. However, Elizondo did not get much attention or funding drawn towards his program, so much so that he actually resigned from the position. 
In his resignation letter, he voiced his concern that, quote-unquote, certain individuals in the department remain staunchly opposed to the further research of unusual aerial systems interfering with military weapon platforms and displaying beyond next-generation capabilities. Elizondo went on to argue that underestimating or ignoring these potential threats is not in the best interest of the department, no matter the level of political contention. And to be honest, I have to agree with him here. He was hired at this program to investigate unidentified craft operating in U.S. airspace. So he goes out, he finds these things, he analyzes the information, and he demonstrates very clearly that, hey, yeah, there's credible military witnesses that are all describing unidentified aerial vehicles in our airspace with capabilities way beyond anything that the military currently possesses. And he isn't saying that it's aliens necessarily, but if some other foreign country has suddenly leapfrogged us in technology, we ought to know about that. And in any consideration, we ought to figure out what these things are in, in any way that you look at it, really, right? But like I said, Elizondo could not rally enough support for his cause due to the stigma behind anything having to do with UFOs, and ATIP has actually since then been completely defunded. However, we do have Elizondo to thank for the release of those three UFO videos and the revealing of the ATIP program, as it was, his, it was his final act as head of the program to arrange for this information release to the public. So, whatever your position on the government's handling of the UFO topic, through this episode, you must have a belief when it comes to the USS Nimitz incident. So solidify that theory in your mind, because I am about to go over some of the most popular explanations and my own personal theory to explain this incredibly compelling incident that occurred over 15 years ago off of the coast of California. The first theory I have for you guys here is pretty much centers around equipment malfunction and a series of misinterpretations. So there are those who like to point at the radar and the other equipment used on that day as malfunctioning and that could explain much of what occurred on that day. The explanation goes that much of the unexplained movement and the characteristics of these unknown objects were falsely relayed by the faulty radar system, and again, they had already been suspecting the radar system of inaccuracies. Furthermore, it is possible that maybe something was out there that was being picked up by the radars, but that by no means was it some kind of advanced technology craft. And instead, it was most likely a series of misinterpreted natural phenomena like weather balloons, like water spouts, drug runners, etc., etc. Of course, you're thinking what I'm thinking, and that this explanation seems maybe a bit lacking. How could the radar systems be completely taken apart, recalibrated, and then continue to malfunction? How could multiple trained military men and women make visual contact with the tic-tac and then all misinterpret it? How could the radar readings and the coinciding visual confirmation be so accurate as if you're saying, okay, no, it was just bugs in the program? And then maybe even more condemning, how does this explain the FLIR footage that was captured from the F-18? So we'll go on to the second theory here, and that is of a secret drone program. So this might be a little bit better of an explanation in that the military is running some kind of super secret, super advanced drone program that the pilots and the officers had no knowledge of. If somehow, some way, the government possessed this kind of advanced technology to dart back and forth at insane speeds with no kind of identifiable propulsion system, 
it kind of makes sense that they would want to keep it secret. Going further, the types of acceleration and deceleration demonstrated by the Tic Tac, uh, they reached well beyond supersonic levels. And according to popular mechanics, the Tic Tac reached speeds of up to 2,400 miles per hour, or 3,900 kilometers per hour, while outmaneuvering these F-18s. This type of acceleration and g-force from a near standstill would kill a human pilot inside the craft. And that gives a little bit of credence to the drone theory, saying, okay, well, there weren't any people in there. They're really just drones. And if it truly is a drone from the U.S. military, then maybe that's how the Tic Tac knew where the pre-designated cap station was set. But if all of this was the case, the U.S. sure has done a crappy job of keeping the drones secret. I mean, why would they fly these drones in the airspace and at the exact time that they know an F-18 training mission is scheduled? Why would they ever let video of these of uh, of the drones and and information of the scenario be released to the public? Furthermore, there are several accounts of similar incidents where the U.S. pilots reported seeing these UFOs, and there's one occurrence where there was nearly a mid-air collision with one of these objects. And this near tragedy actually prompted a full-on mishap report to be filed. And I'd have to ask, I mean, would the U.S. military really test these drones so haphazardly? So this leads us into our third theory, and that is of foreign super technology. And this is more, for, uh, more of a foreboding theory, but it's that some other country, be it Russia, China, Japan, etc., has suddenly leapfrogged the U.S. in military technology, and they are responsible for the Nimitz event. Of course, uh, this theory has a lot of question marks, like, okay, well then who is it exactly? How did they get this technology? Are they a threat? What are they doing in U.S. airspace? And a lot of these questions have thousands, literally thousands of answers, and each seeming less likely than the previous. There's also no real way for me to disprove this theory, but it brings me to a good point. If there is any possibility that this Tic Tac is technology belonging to a foreign country, shouldn't we be doing everything in our power to figure it out, to understand the implications? And maybe the fact that we aren't investigating this theory might actually speak to the government's, you know, uh, they're convinced that this isn't the explanation. It might speak to the unlikelihood of this being the actual reason and the actual um, explanation for the Nimitz, the Nimitz event. So that will actually bring me to uh, the, the theory that you've all been waiting for, and that is the theory of aliens. Now, while it's probably, you know, the most improbable and extravagant theory, it does fill in a lot of the holes that many of the other explanations could not fill in. And so, so let's just go into a few of them. It would explain how the movements of the aircraft seems to defy the laws of physics. It would somewhat explain the mysterious submerged object, and that is, at least if you allow the possibility of USOs, or unidentified submerged objects, that seem to be interacting with the Tic Tac in some way. It would explain how the crafts are seen dropping in and out of the stratosphere. It explains why, when viewed through thermal imaging on the FLIR, there was no thermal signature, meaning there was no indication of combustion and therefore no means of propulsion that is utilized here on Earth. For those of you who listened to last week's episode, I actually spoke about Bob Lazar and his claims 
uh, that he had information about secret alien technology from his time working at Area 51. His explanation of anti-gravity propulsion actually fits perfectly with the movement and the appearance of the Tic Tac in the FLIR video. And then one of the other videos that was released, a video that's referred to as the Gimbal video, is even more eerily similar to the type of craft that Lazar has been explaining for years. It is possible that these crafts are the types of craft that Lazar used to work on. The alien theory would also explain why this case was taken and investigated by ATIP in the first place, as opposed to some other governmental office like in the Department of Defense. Now, I had to do some soul-searching when it comes to my own personal theory, but I believe that I have come to my own conclusion to explain what really occurred during the USS Nimitz incident. Now, when I say I had to do some soul-searching, I'm referring to the probability of alien visitation. See, I'm a firm believer that intelligent life exists out there beyond our solar system, but to say that I believe these beings have actually physically reached Earth and are just flying around, it might be a little bit far-fetched for me. And this is why I view the USS Nimitz Tic Tac as maybe being an alien drone. And yes, you heard right, I'm kind of combining the drone and the alien theories together here. And that by no means do I think these craft are inhabited by alien creatures, but maybe I believe that the craft were not created here on Earth. It explains almost every point of the case, the erratic movements, the supersonic speeds, the dropping from the stratosphere, the aloof nature, they don't want to be detected, the, the jamming of the radar, the complete bewilderment from the military and the government personnel, you know, just to name a few things. And again, this case was officially labeled as real unidentified phenomena by the US government, which to me means they just absolved themselves of any involvement. Like, hey, like <laughs> we would tell you if we actually knew, but we don't. So we're, we're labeling as unidentified. And they've never done that before. Like I said, this is the first time that that's happened. And if it's not American technology out there, then who else could it reasonably belong to? Who else has a more sophisticated military research program that could maybe even be close to this kind of technology? And to me, there's only one possible answer. And it's that it's nothing here on Earth. And I have to remind those out there that are like scoffing at me right now that this event was one one of, if not the most credible and well-documented UFO cases ever. These are trained military men and women recalling these events with no reason to fake anything. If anything, the pure amount of people that refuse to come forward or that you know, wish to remain anonymous should tell you how reluctant most people are and how scary it is for these military personnel to speak out about what they witnessed. Because again, the whole UFO topic is so stigmatized and, and to release kind of information that maybe the US military doesn't want you to release could actually jeopardize your career. So I'm sure that they and many others close to the situation have spent countless hours trying to come up with rational explanations for what happened because it would make their life so much easier if they could come up with a rational explanation, but they just can't. And, you know, they can't say, oh, this was a US drone, it must have been, or oh, this is a weather balloon here, or oh yeah, it was a radar malfunction here. But because they can't, it just, it speaks volumes to me personally. And 
even today, like I said, the U.S. government cannot offer us any kind of answers. Now, if you ask me the reason why these alien drones are here, I couldn't really tell you. To me, through incidents like this one, it seems like these drones are investigating, investigating our environment, maybe our atmosphere, our ecology, and I, I just I don't think they pose an immediate threat, but I do wholeheartedly believe that we should be doing more to get to the bottom of it, to find the answers. And because we could be doing more, we very well could be doing more. And I think another likely theory that, you know, I'm not going to completely poo-poo it is the fact that maybe there is someone out there that possesses technology beyond the reach of the U.S. military. But with either explanation of mine, and like I've hit on before, it's imperative that we do everything in our power to investigate. And that's why it's so frustrating to me to hear that ATIP has been defunded and is no longer in operation. But it's also why it's uplifting for me to hear that in April of 2019, the Navy officially acknowledged their, shortcoming, their shortcomings in reporting UFO events and in response is drafting new guidelines for pilots and other personnel to follow when reporting such occurrences. And this could be huge for UFO research moving forward. If we have any kind of luck at all, I think in the near future with these new guidelines, we are going to see more and more credible sources come forward with with situations just like the USS Nimitz incident, uh, namely probably military sources, where we can really sit down and just start an open dialogue. And even the most skeptical of people will have to have to start saying like, okay, how do we explain this? What's happening? And, and like I said, open dialogue like that is what's going to get us the answer. Because I can talk about it all day, but I will admit that I probably have a little bit of a bias towards a, towards this discussion, towards towards this UFO research topic, in that, you know, logically I do think it's true that there's life out there, but I probably also really want it to be true. And so I might not be the most unbiased source. I, and I, as I was giving this episode, I was just trying to really give you guys the facts. And, and, and when it comes to the USS Nimitz incident, you can be skeptical about it. I mean, there are some things that are very unknown. There are some logical-ish explanations, I guess. Um, and but, but like I said, if we're lucky, we're going to keep having these kind of occurrences happen. They're going to be well documented. We're going to keep getting more videos. And then we're going to have to really sit down and be like, wow what is happening out there and and most importantly we still have not answered what happened out there on the coast of california in 2004. i hope that you have all enjoyed this episode and can walk away with at least something new hopefully the impact of this event and the work being pushed by individuals like commander fravor and luis Elizondo can continue to destigmatize the ufo topic and leave the u.s military more accepting and willing to correctly report events like the USS Nimitz incident. Hopefully we can continue this open discussion allowing all possibilities to be considered because honestly, that's the only way we can ever hope to get answers with open dialogue. In the near future, we may start to see more and more credible military sources coming forward to offer new insight and if we're lucky, maybe even some answers. I thank you for your time spent with me, and I also thank those of you who are return listeners who listen to me every week. As always, I will be releasing another episode uh, on Thursday of next week, and I hope that you can join me. I ask that you maintain open minds and open hearts to the infinite possibilities out there. I'll see you guys next week for another exciting mystery of history. Thanks again, have a great rest of your day, and keep your eyes to the sky, because you never know what you might see.